you know, in the world's eyes, it's been a little bit of a crazy week, hasn't it? I was thinking this this morning about the fact that three different generations lost an entertainment icon of their generation, all within just a few hours. And it's always amazing to me to see the way in which the world reacts to the death of an entertainment icon. The most prevalent one was Michael Jackson, and I grew up in the time frame when Michael Jackson was really big. I know some of you grew up when he was kind of big, when he was part of the Jackson 5, and that was well before my time. I don't mean to remind you of how young I am, but it was well before my time. And so I remember the rise, and uh, I was laughing this week. I had a, a birthday party one time that was centered on his music. Uh, I would never do that again, but at that time, it seemed like a good idea. It's always interesting to me to see how the world reacts. And then you've got all the stuff going on in the world. I mean, it always seems like there's stuff going on in the world, but, I mean, with North Korea testing missiles and uh, Iran and all that is happening there, and uh, I was listening this week to an interview with some people from China and This is the 20th year reunion of Tiananmen Square and some of the similarities between what's happening in Iran and what happened in China and the the way that it was quashed then and now. And what's interesting to me is, now the celebrity stuff doesn't, but these world affairs, these economic affairs, they all could have major impacts on our lives, right? I mean, they could. And yet I find myself sometimes watching at a distance. I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I find myself watching the news, taking in what's happening, and almost as if I'm watching a movie of what's happening out there. Anybody else? This is a support group right now. Anybody else ever feel that way? Okay, a few of you. That's good. Makes me feel better. But here's what I started to think. It's almost as if I'm watching my life and yet am not a part of my life. I started thinking about that, and I was thinking about the way the Lord was kind of leading me this week and preparing for this moment. And I just came up with this idea that we have tons of us that claim to be followers of Jesus who are watching our lives without being engaged. Cliff mentioned that this is a time we don't have any time constraints. And, you know, pastors love guys that leave music that say that, you know. But it's true. Our, our lives seem to be programmed for us. And it's easy to get involved in life and moving in life and just to get in the routine of what life is all about. And even as people that claim to be followers of Jesus, we become just involved in the routine of what it means to follow Jesus. And before we know it, we are not actually following Jesus. We're following the routine that we think we ought to follow to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? And I was thinking about that this week. and My first thought was, well, that's just kind of how it is. And I was reminded of Revelation chapter 3. Now, sometimes when I say I'm going to the book of Revelation, some of you get real happy because say, preachers never preach on Revelation. Well, we're going to preach on Revelation, but we're not going to preach on all of the symbol stuff today, all right? Because in Revelation chapter 3, it's the last letter in a group of letters to a group of real churches. Now, I know throughout history there have been understandings about why 
uh, these letters were written and were they symbolic of the seven ages of the church? And we can debate that at another time. All I know is that these letters follow a route around what is now Turkey or Asia Minor and that there were churches all along that route. And if you followed the route, these letters would have been read in each of those churches and you come to the last one, which is a church called Laodicea. Now, the thing is that these were real churches that were really like this at a real time in history. At the same time, these seven churches, and sometime we'll do a series on all seven, but today we're just going to deal with this one. These seven churches represent traps that churches themselves can fall into in order that they think they're doing what God has called them to do, and yet they are doing opposite of what God has called them to do. Now, what's interesting is when I say the word Laodicea, one of the first things that some of you that have grown up in church think is lukewarm or the ones that that weren't fully living for the Lord. And the truth is, if you look at the seven churches, Jesus writes this letter through the Apostle John. They all are given some positive characteristics except for this one. And I want to give away a little bit of what's going on later in the sermon by saying this. What I think is very interesting is that if you were to uphold the seven churches, this would have been the one church that I thought would have thought they were doing well. But in chapter 3, verses 14 and following, it says to the angel, now that may, the word angel there is actually in the original language just messenger. That might be angel like guardian angel, or that might be just the pastor. So, this is a letter to the pastor, from Jesus to the pastor. I'm just going to tell you real quickly, if I got a letter from Jesus, I would think it was important. Of the church in Laodicea, right. Just another little note. You know that the, the winning word in the spelling bee this year was Laodicean. Did you know that? National spelling bee. And it meant lukewarm. So it's become indicative. These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Just in case you forgot who I am, I am. The amen, the faithful, the true, the ruler. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. First thing I want us to understand this morning is that lukewarm churches make God sick. Laodicea is an interesting place. It was a place that was right in between two trade routes. Uh, You might say today that it it was kind of at a convergence of of, uh, interstates, major roads, People had to go through a Laodicea to get places, and because of that, it became a very wealthy place. It was known really for two or three things. One was it was known for their great banking system. It was known for the great clothing they did, and they were known as a medical place, a place where doctors thrived and new innovations were coming all the time. They were considered kind of the pearl of this part of the world, the best place you could be. I mean, people wanted to go live in Laodicea. They, it was a great place to live. It was a booming economy. In fact, uh, when much of the Roman Empire, or that part of the Roman Empire was destroyed by an earthquake, 
Laodicea was the only place that was able to completely rebuild without any bailout money from the Roman Empire. Now, they didn't call it bailout money, but that's what it was. They only had one problem, really, as a city. They didn't have a good source of water. And so they had to bring water in through these aqueducts or through channels, and they had built all that infrastructure. And the problem wasn't that the water got there. The problem was the condition in which the water got there because they would have to bring it in from a hot spring or they would have to bring it in from a cold place. And what happens to water when it travels six miles through an aqueduct from either hot or cold? It becomes lukewarm. And visitors to Laodicea would often, upon drinking the water for the first time, spew it out of their mouth. Any of you ever had a cup of coffee that you laid off to the side and you picked it up thinking it was still hot and it was lukewarm? You may not have actually spewed, but you didn't drink anymore, right? You see, I think when we read the word spit, for some reason the word spit us out of his mouth makes us think not as bad as we should. I mean, spit is not terrible, right? I mean, it's not nice. You don't want to be spit upon, spat upon, I guess, if we want to use correct English here. But that's not really the word here. The word really means in violent convulsions to spew out of your mouth. That doesn't sound like spitting, does it? What does that sound like? Hurling, upchucking, throwing up. Any other words out there? Dry heaves. What else? Vomit. All right, that's good. Let's stop there. People are holding their stomachs now. All right. That's the idea. How many of you have ever experienced that physically? Some of you, if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to be really mad at you, all right? Because everybody in life should experience that phenomenon. When I was growing up, I had a wonderful little condition called projectile vomiting. Self-descriptive, right? Apparently I could hit the wall from the middle of the living room. I know you didn't want that picture, but here's the point. That's exactly the picture that this gives of the way God feels about lukewarm churches. Now, let me say, first of all, most people go to Revelation chapter 3 and immediately they start applying it to individuals. Are you living lukewarm? We're going to get there. But who is the letter written to? Church. And he says that the church being lukewarm makes him sick. Now, I want to say real quickly... People have misused this verse a lot and saying, well, he wants you to be on fire for Jesus or denying him. That's not what he means by hot or cold. What he means is he wants you to be useful and able to be used for the glory of the kingdom of God. When I talked about, remember that there was hot water that would come in that would become lukewarm. There was cold water that had come in. They could be used if they were in their original states. But by the time they had become lukewarm, they were not able to be used at all. So God's not saying, sometimes in youth groups I, I heard this growing up, if you're not going to be on fire for God, just don't even care about him. That's not what's being said here, okay? What's being said here is, to live lukewarm is to make me sick. Now here's the second thing that I think is interesting from this passage. Lukewarm churches 
do not know they are lukewarm. Look what it says. Verse 17. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. And I do not need a thing. Does that sound like a church that thinks it's in trouble? This would be the appropriate response. No, okay? They don't sound like they think they're in trouble. In fact, Jesus says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, those last three have specific applications to this church. Remember what I said they were famous for? Some of you, I mean, no, that's been three or four minutes ago. Some of you have forgotten that. I understand. They were, they were famous for what? Anybody remember any of them? Banking, right? So he says, you think you're rich, but you are poor. What else were they famous for? Their clothing, right? But they are naked. Anybody remember? Medical stuff. You know what they were especially known for? An eye salve that would cure blindness. And he says, you think you've got it all figured out? You think we got the good banking system? We're financially secure? You think we're clothed? We're, we look good? We, we're styling and profiling? Where everything's great in our lives? He says, then you think you've got this medical thing taken out? But listen, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me just say this to you. Oftentimes, perceived strengths are our biggest weaknesses. And that leads to the question, if lukewarm churches don't know they're lukewarm, how do they get informed that they're lukewarm? That's what God's Word is for. One question I want you just to let linger there for a minute, just for a minute, is whether or not we are a lukewarm church. Here's the third thing I want you to think about. Lukewarm churches are made up of lukewarm people. Now, some of you say, now that is an obvious point there, Brother Lyle. It is, but here's what often we think when we come to this passage, when we come to anything, when we talk about lukewarm churches, we automatically, first of all, think it's somebody else's fault. Some of you out there this, this morning are... When I say, do you think we're a lukewarm church? Some of you, some of you say, absolutely not. We're not. Some of you say, oh, I don't know. Some of you say, we are. And some of you that say, we are, when I say, well, well, why do you think we are? One of the first responses in your mind is going to be, well, it's this group of people or that group of people, or we're not doing this or they're not doing that. And what we need to do is not begin by analyzing everybody else, but we begin by analyzing our Selves. Let me tell you, this has not been a fun week for me. I began looking at this passage a little early in the week, and I was actually going in a different direction. God, for some reason, usually I have sermons planned out four or five weeks in advance at least, and God has just not allowed that lately. And Friday, the Lord kind of settled in where I was going, and this passage of Scripture was in my mind a little bit. And I traveled to Alabama, drove three hours by myself down to do a wedding and three hours last night back. I stayed in a hotel room. Uh, Susan and the boys stayed back here, and so I was in a hotel room. And yesterday I was there for a while, and God just convicted me over and over to do self-examination. One of the things that spurred my thought was a, a guy that I know that's a youth minister in this town that resigned a couple of weeks ago. 
And when you begin to read his blog about why he resigned, he was doing a successful youth ministry in a church that was growing, a, a place that ministry was being done. Kids were going on mission. Kids were being saved. And he says, what I found is I'd become comfortable in my existence, and I was living a lukewarm life despite the success that it seemed on the outside. And what we have to do as individuals who are followers of Jesus or claim to be followers of Him is that we must begin by examining our own lives. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to give you a little quiz. And I'm going to have you examine your own life. Because part of what God has told me to do today is to begin by asking you if you are living a lukewarm existence, watching the world kind of pass you by, doing the things that you think you ought to do to follow Jesus without actually following Jesus. And the reason that God has said that I need to do that is because that most of the time, just as lukewarm churches don't know they're lukewarm, lukewarm people do not know that they are lukewarm. I'm just going to read these words again. I'm going to ask you some questions. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are either cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spew you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me just suggest to you that there has never been a generation of Christians who have claimed that they are wealthy and in need of nothing more than our generation. There's a book written a couple of years ago by a guy named Francis Chan. It's called Crazy Love. And in that book, he begins to list characteristics of lukewarm people. Now, these aren't going to be up on the screen, and I know... There's temptation in any service to let your mind begin to wander, to begin to think about other things. But I would ask you in these moments to listen intently because I believe these are things that God is going to use to reveal from your heart whether or not you are in need of examining your life as a lukewarm believer. Chan lists about 15. I'm not going to read that many, just a few. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly, either because it's expected of them or because they like the people there. It's what they think good Christians ought to do. We're reminded of the passage of Scripture where Jesus says, These people draw near to me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Lukewarm people give money and time to the church as long as it doesn't infringe on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, then they give. You think about David who said that he would not give an offering unto the Lord that cost him nothing. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right. They want to fit in both inside the church and outside of it. They care more about what people think of their action than what God thinks of their heart. The lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't generally hate sin and are not truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. 
lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do nothing. They assume these radical things of Christ are for extreme Christians, not average ones. These people call radical what Jesus expects of all his followers. I was reminded this week of a quote by one of the old school pastors of the Southern Baptist Convention, a guy named Vance Havner. Vance Havner said, in our churches today, Christians have settled for a place less than what Jesus expected of us as followers of his. So now when someone actually follows Jesus, we call them weird or abnormal when they are exactly what Jesus expected. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They know that they're supposed to, but they're afraid of being rejected. And they don't want to make people uncomfortable by talking about religion. Lukewarm people love God, but they don't love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of devotion is only for pastors and missionaries and those radicals. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with safety and comfort. That safety keeps them from risking for God. Two more. And I'm asking you to just think of your own life. Lukewarm people serve God, but within limits. Instead of asking, how can I keep myself pure as a temple of God's Spirit, they ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? Instead of asking, how much can I give, they ask, how much do I have to give? Instead of saying, I wish I could spend more time sitting here and being with God longer, they ask, how much time is enough spending, praying, and reading? And then I want to read one directly from the book. Because I think it just hits exactly where we are in America. And he starts by saying, lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they're really the same as a typical unbeliever. They equate their sanitized living with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. Because lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have a savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have a retirement plan. They don't genuinely seek out what God would have them live. They have life figured out themselves and have mapped it out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Refrigerators in full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look any different if they just stopped believing in God. And this is my question for you. If tomorrow you decided you weren't going to be a follower of Jesus anymore, how different would your life look? Some of you say, well, it would look a lot different. Well, would it? I mean, some of you would still come to church because your friends are here and you hang out with them. If statistics are right, most of you aren't spending daily amounts of time in reading the Scriptures and in praying, and so that wouldn't change that much. Your faith 
which hasn't been, been lived out wouldn't change. And my question is, if your life wouldn't change very much if you stopped believing what you believe about God, then isn't that the definition of a lukewarm Christian? Because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You see, sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, we talk about this passage of Scripture, we, some of you out there go, yeah, I know it. I know, Pastor. Yeah, I know. All right, you got me. Uh, you, you read that list, about five of them. I know. But, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. I, I mean, it, it's not that bad, really. I mean, you know, I, I know this other guy, and this other guy, he, he would hit all ten of those. He, he's really bad. And, and, you know, last year it was only six, and this year there's five. So there's some improvement. I know, it's, I know it's, it, it says it in the Bible, but, but, but it, it's, it's okay. And I, I would just say this to you. There are very few places in Scripture where God uses the language he uses about people that he uses right here. And so it's not just an okay kind of thing. In fact, I would say this. If you are perpetually okay with being lukewarm, you need to check your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because someone that is a true follower of Jesus Christ, reading these words, understanding what Francis Chan has pointed out in his book about what lukewarmness looks like, ought to cut to the heart to ask the question, am I living my life for my Savior? Am I living my life for Jesus? You see, the thing is, in America, we have become so consumed with doing the things that we think we ought to do to follow Jesus that as churches, we bitterly fight. We bicker and we talk. We fill ourselves with lukewarm Christians that come to worship service expecting to be entertained or to have what they want done. We build Sunday school classes where people walk in expecting to have things given to them from that Sunday school class. And these are church people. These aren't guests or visitors or people that are outside the church. These are church people that come in with a certain amount of needs that must be met or they are out the door. And what Scripture teaches us is that this life that we're living is not about us. And what we are called to, and we're going to talk about this next week, is radical obedience, obsessive obedience, passionately, devotedly following Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And just to be real honest with you, if we were to be serious about passionately, devotedly following Jesus, if we were to be seriously about, be serious about obsessively following Him, it would look very little like what most of us are doing. I mean, in my mind, over and over, especially last 24, 48 hours, is this phrase, because you are lukewarm, I am going to spew you out of my mouth. So what's the answer? Verse 18. The basic thing is don't trust in our stuff, trust in Him. But He does it in a little different way. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. What does He say? Don't trust in your banks, don't trust in your money. Get your trust in me. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Here's an interesting thing. I told you they were known for clothing. They were especially known for their black wool. And what he says is, your black wool is fine, but for me you need a garment of righteousness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. That's kind of Jesus' little word say, listen, the reason I'm doing this is because I love you. It's like a parent that looks at a child and disciplines the child and says, the reason that I'm punishing you is because I love you. Verse 20. Here's the answer. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The answer is the way out is to let Jesus in. Now, I know that passage of Scripture is used a lot of times for, uh, you know, I've heard evangelistic messages and they talk about this painting that's there and Jesus is knocking on the door and the only handle is on the inside and Jesus is knocking today at the door of your heart and if you would accept him, he would come in. And I understand that as an evangelistic message. In fact, I think you can build a case out of this passage that there were many of the people in the church of Laodicea that were not, in fact, followers of Jesus and Jesus is offering them an invitation to accept him as his, their Lord and Savior for the first time. And there may be many of you today who have trusted in your good works, in your good deeds, in your church attendance, in your church membership, in your Sunday school stuff, in your mission work, in all of those things, and yet your relationship with Jesus Christ is nil. It's never happened. And this morning, if you are here and you were there, if you are one of those people, the answer simply is to let Jesus in, to allow Him to come into your life, to take away the sins that you have, and to build a relationship with Him. You see, in the South, one of the things that we have that is a problem is that we think Christianity is our birthright. Now, because we were born here and have lived here and sometime have walked an aisle, that somehow we just get it in plied upon us. But the truth is that without a personal commitment to Jesus and without a relationship with Him, there is nobody else that can do that work for you. It is between you and Him. And some of you today, even though you may have been church members for years, need to come to the realization that you've been living with lukewarm so long that you never had a relationship in the first place. And for those of us that are in this church, Jesus is gently knocking. And for some of you, He may be pounding. And He's saying, it's time to get rid of the lukewarm. Of the also-ran, of the status quo, of letting the world pass you by. And it's time to follow Me. Let me just tell you something real quickly, and then we're going to have time for invitation. Some of you in this room have been living with lukewarm because you are scared to death of what Jesus would ask of you if you really knew his plan. Some of you in this room have been living with lukewarm so long you don't even give that question a consideration anymore. I mean, do you really want to know what Jesus has plan for you and your life and your family? Do you really want to know what the radical life that he promises in John 10.10, what that would look like for you? Because I want to tell you this. If you're ready to get out of the lukewarm bath and move into a life 
that is passionately devoted to Jesus. He is ready to walk that path with you. And if we are going to become a church that glorifies God in every way imaginable and does exactly what God intends for us to do, then we have got to start by allowing ourselves to move out of the lukewarm pool. And it starts with you. And it starts with me. This morning, are you willing to say, lukewarm's not good enough anymore?